This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Territory Story Podcast. Uh, We've got a pretty interesting show for you today. On the podcast, we will have two Ward Keller migration agents whom you've met before, Rachel Adolf and Anka Nagel. Um, And we will also have a guest that we've had on before, um, someone who made a very big splash when he was on here last time, Mr. Ben Pavita Alfonso. Ben, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, Leon. It's such a pleasure to be back. And uh, Rachel, how are you? Uh, Good evening. I'm very well. Thank you, Leon. Hi, Ben. Hi, Anka. And Anka in Alice Springs. Yes, in beautiful Alice Springs. Hello to everybody again. Right. Great, great. Well, it's great to have you all back. Um, It's always uh, nice to talk about migration because it's one of the one of the big issues for the Territory in terms of growing our population. I, I spoke with uh, Senator Barbara, oh, no, I should keep calling her Barbara when her name is Melandiri. Melandiri McCarthy, uh, Senator Mal- Melandiri McCarthy, I spoke with her um, recently and she is very, very busy working in Canberra trying to convince our politicians down there to um, support a private bill uh, that she's put forward to ensure that the Territory keeps at least two uh, member of the House of Representatives seats. Uh, we currently have two, but I believe that our population has fallen uh, to a point where we are um, scheduled to lose one seat uh, because of our population. So you can imagine the size of the Northern Territory, one-sixth of Australia, um, and we're about to lose a seat unless the um, government passes this legislation that will ensure that we maintain two seats. Um, so, you know, population is very, very close to our hearts here in the Territory. I wanted to start this uh, podcast off because we are going to go and talk about a migration update and the ongoing effects of COVID-19. But before we do that, I wanted to um, just touch base with Ben. Ben, as you may remember, is a um, international student support officer for Charles Darwin University, but he also is a co-founder of the Kindness Shake project. So Ben, since we last spoke, um, you had at that point in time just started the Kindness Shake. That's right. What has happened since then till now? What hasn't happened, Leon? I think that's easy to (laughs) (laughs) It's been uh, incredibly amazing. It's been now 17 weeks. This is going to be the 17th week. The support that we've been receiving from uh, the community is just incredible. It's just absolutely amazing. Everyone wants to give us a hand. Everyone wants to be involved. Uh, not only, uh, you know, education providers, but, you know, multicultural groups, government is knocking our door. And, and I think we've been the, the envy of, of Australia because we started it off and now we've seen around the country similar initiatives whereby people, you know, come and, and knock our door and tell us, hey, how do you guys did this? How do you guys do that? So, uh, yeah, the kind of shake uh, for those who are new about it is a community-led initiative that aims to provide a weekly free meal to those experiencing financial hardship. So 
international student volunteers connected with those local businesses uh, and uh, multicultural groups and, and, you know, government and education providers to support those who are in need. And, and, and so far uh, in the last 17 weeks, I am pleased to let you guys know that we have served over 4,000 meals. We have helped over 500 individuals. Uh, the Kind of Shake has partnered with 30 plus local businesses slash organizations. We have recruited 50 plus volunteers and we have raised over $40,000 in donations or grants. So we're really, really excited about what is happening. Of course, we don't want uh, people to be in anger, but as long as we continue receiving the support from the community, we will still be here. And it's just been really incredible. And, you know, it's been so good that uh, we're now thinking about what's next. Well, now we're not thinking about it anymore because now we are already on the next stage. And uh, just today, um, well, I'm not sure when the podcast will be released, but just today we launched our new employability uh, program uh, because we... Uh, consulted the students we consulted the community we start asking them hey how how are you feeling what is happening with your life what is important other than food and jobs was really the hottest topic so we tried to find out ways to support that so of course we know that we cannot find people jobs especially these days and especially to uh, international students or temporary visa holders because of course the the priority will be given to Australians or permanent residents that's pretty clear but at least like we started the kind of shake is trying to do something whatever is in our hands so um, what we did is we engaged uh, with uh, the government again who supported us through a grant with study and international student well-being grants uh, and we have partnered with a, a consulting firm uh, based in victoria called campus consultancy which uh, will be providing a 10 weeks um, employability program that will uh, upskill the students it's called by the way upskill to scale, sorry, skill up to scale up. Um, so we're very excited today. We had uh, uh, 65 plus, um, 60 plus attendees. Uh, we had presence of the director of study and and the team leader for the CDU's careers and employment. And it's just going amazing. Uh, you know, we're really excited to continue helping the community. We know that there's still a lot of uncertainty about what is going to happen, uh, but you know, we continue focus uh, with uh, the family is now bigger. We have so many uh, volunteers and people involved and we have so many more projects coming up uh, to support the community in the Northern Territory to showcase that there is people that care. But more importantly, to let the world know and everyone out there that the value of international students and, and international communities, multicultural communities in the, in the Northern Territory in Australia and the amazing things that they bring to this country. Fantastic. That's really great work, Ben, and congratulations on uh, on achieving those amazing results. I know when we first did that podcast, you were still putting together the documentation to create a charitable <laughs> status, and and, uh, and you've uh, you, you've accomplished so much. So congratulations. Well done. I want to ask you a little bit about this um, uh, this upskilling thing because you and I have spoken about the disconnect between the students that come to CDU and do a course 
finish the course, whether it's a, it's a graduate program or, a, or an undergraduate program. And then those that want to take, uh, get some experience and, you know, and, and, you know, a pathway to permanent residency tend to have real trouble uh, trying to get uh, work experience or get a job here in the territory. And I'm thinking uh, a lot about people um, that, that uh, move in my circles, which uh, tend to be accountants, um, not necessarily lawyers, but I find people that are working in the, in the com- commerce field tend to find it really difficult to get, you know, a little bit of experience um, to, to assist them. Um, is this program going to help with that, the one that you're partnering up with the Victorians? Absolutely, totally, Leon. And I think this goes back to some of the conversations that we had in the past about doing something similar. So because the program, uh, while the, uh, there will be 10 sessions and six of them will be online, but four of them will be in person. And what we will aim, uh, and this is a conversation that uh, you and I will have separately, but the idea is uh, to be able to bring students to uh, local firms, to, you know, to those uh, uh, you know, potential employers to get to get them to connect with each other, to you know, to to be able to you know, for them to dream about where they may may be in the future. But also because while they are starting, you know, it's really hard for them for students to kind of get to see how it is and to learn how is uh, how we. It works in here in Australia, right? Because things are differently everywhere. So in this program, we will have very basic stuff, but also really important things such as writing an outstanding resume and cover letter, standing out in the job market using personal branding on LinkedIn. We will also try to bring some recruiters on board for them to, you know, to get some exposure and get to know how it is, you know, how to ace a job interview, you know, uh, elevator pitch. We will also bring some entrepreneurs, hopefully, from the NT uh, and uh, and local leadership lessons, you know, those people that, that, that have been doing really good stuff, whether it's government or non-for-profits or local businesses as well. And lastly, we will end the program with mock interviews, some online and some in person, so that you know, when they graduate, um, when they do, it, it won't be the first time for them to do these kind of things, you know, because that's the time when they actually need to land the job, but they will already be prepared for those things that they need to know. And and w- once they really get that job that they wish for, uh, you know, it will it will not be new, but they will be already, uh, you know, they will be ready. And, and at the same time, something that I think is important to mention is that we want uh, local, uh, you know, industry leaders and those people from, you know, from wherever it is. Uh, it can be accounting, it can be CPA, uh, you know, Engineers Australia, IAAA for IT. All of those big parties, we will knock their doors to come and join us uh, because we want you know, we want them to see the, you know, the quality and, and the amazing things that international students can bring to the to the jobs uh, in Australia. But also, what is important is for Australians, for the Australian community, I think in the end in particular, we're really lucky about 
multiculturalism and diversity. But we wanna we want people to see face to face and break some of the stigmas mm -hmm. and some of those barriers that people think that oh maybe international students won't be able to communicate or they may not know that because I have met some brilliant brilliant uh, guys. In fact, today I met someone that is really great at her studies. This lady from Nepal. Uh, she's she knows Ben. I know how to do everything. Uh, you know, you put me the, there and I know how to do everything, but I'm just not confident because I haven't had the chance. So I want those students to be able to meet those potential employers and for them to get a chance with it is even volunteering. Uh, so if that answers your question, sorry, I'm just really passionate about it. I'm so excited and, and I'm really uh, hopeful that this will, you know, break the records again. Yeah, well, look, Ben. Uh, as I said to you, as I said to you previously offline, and I'll say to to you this online. You know, we are ready, willing, and able to help and to participate in this program with you. Um, I personally think that um, whilst it's very, very important to get your resume right and your interviewing skills right, um, the 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 real magic element in all of this is teaching people how to build their networks, right? Because that's what gets you, uh, gets doors opening to you. And so uh, I think it's incumbent on territory businesses here, um, wherever they are located in the territory, to partner up with CDU, to partner up with the likes of the Chamber of Commerce and the Palmerston Regional Business Association and other like-minded associations, the uh, Institute of Chartered Accountants, um, the Institute of Engineers, all these organisations, and we need to teach our um, migrant population that have come here to study, we need to teach them how to build networks because when they build the networks, that's when those opportunities are going to present themselves, I believe. Totally, Leon. In fact, today we were talking about just like what you just mentioned. Uh, Josh Farr, who is the person who runs Campus Consultancy, was saying, it might sound harsh, but it, this is very correct. Your network is your net worth. That's right. That's right. So, and, and, and the hidden market is really massive, especially mm -hmm. here in Australia. A lot of those opportunities are out there. So you just really need to know the right people and, and you know, do well uh, whenever there is an opportunity. So hopefully, fingers crossed. Okay, Ben. So I guess uh, you and I probably have a number of questions to ask Rachel and Anka in relation to uh, the changes to the Migration Act and the rules uh, associated with people coming to Australia and people who are in Australia wanting to stay here. So maybe I'll kick it off to you to ask, uh, ask those questions. Absolutely. I think uh, that's a very important and very uh, pertinent topic, especially these days with the recent uh, changes and announcements. So lucky for me and for all of us, we got some amazing migration agents here, Rachel and Anke. So I think it would be great if we could probably, if you could probably share with us, you know, what's been happening in, in, in this scope and, you know, what are the things that you know, people should be aware of not only students really, but those who aim to migrate to the NT. Yeah, sure, sure, Ben. I think that um, probably just the first really general thing to mention is what's happening with the Australian borders. So at the moment, our Australian borders still remain closed and there's really limited opportunity for people to enter and exit Australian borders. 
um, to enter Australia, it still remains that you must be an Australian citizen or a permanent resident. Or uh, if you hold a valid visa and you've received exemption from the travel ban, you can enter. Um, those travel ban exemptions are limited, are very limited, and the department are uh, handing them out, or Australia Border Force, I should say, are handing them out in a very limited amount of circumstances. Um, so you need to have a really good reason to enter. Um, often it's got to be to the benefit of Australia. Um, to exit, what a lot of people don't realise is that Australian citizens of permanent residents cannot exit Australia unless they have a um, permit to leave um, and they've received ex the same kind of exemption to the travel ban. Um, but if you're a temporary visa holder, uh, such as any kind of temp temporary visa holder, you may exit Australia at any time, but of course the difficulty at the moment is getting on a flight. So Scott Morrison has reduced the number of commercial flights coming to Australia uh, recently, particularly with the outbreak in Melbourne, and they've actually no longer permitted any commercial flights landing in Melbourne, so they're all being diverted to other cities. So that's kind of impacting migration uh, a lot, but it's just the current state of play for the moment. Um, but I guess the next kind of big changes that we need to talk about in migration is what's happening with general skills migration. And I might hand this over to you, Anka, in particular, to talk about uh, the announcement that's happened in relation to the 190 visa, which is our permanent resident skilled visa, uh, which is nominated by the states or territories and what changes have occurred with uh, migration and tea in particular. Yes, thank you, Rachel, and uh, also thanks, Ben, for, for uh, instigating basically these kind of discussions and info sessions. Um, I can only really speak specifically about the Northern Territory government at the moment. Uh, most other states and governments are not actually accepting anything, uh, but also they haven't really released any new updates on how they are going to handle uh, skilled migration and state sponsorships. The Northern Territory did announce some changes. Uh, so they have actually been on the forefront with uh, telling at least uh, the migrant population about what they are going to be doing. So they created uh, some new criteria and they have come into effect as of the 1st of July. And it has caused a bit of a ripple uh, effect amongst especially international students, uh, which is understand understandable. Um, First of all, we must understand the motivation for these changes. And I've had discussions with representatives from Migration MT and, uh, and also as what Leon um, sort of touched upon earlier is Northern Territory is really desperate to encourage people to come live here permanently. Uh, so really wants to encourage people to come here, not just to get a visa, and then leave the territory again, they really want people to settle here. So that's the whole point of that whole migration program is for people to move permanently to the Northern Territory. And they've had a few concerns that there were too many people leaving it to the last minute because they couldn't get a sponsorship in the state, uh, like in New South Wales or Victoria. So they thought, oh, well, we'll go to the Northern Territory if we really have to. And look, I, I came to the territory myself nearly 30 years ago. I don't think it's a place you go to because you just have to. You, you make a decision to live here because it is a great lifestyle. And um, 
So the changes that the non-Tetchi has uh, introduced is uh, new residency requirements and new employability requirements. So they want people to have made a commitment before they even apply for that state sponsorship. And uh, with uh, 491 and 190, they have got slightly different requirements. Uh, with the 491, they want them now to live here for 12 months, ideally. Uh, so they really have settled uh, and have found themselves a job. And uh, when it comes for the 190, uh, they have a few extra rules for those international students uh, specifically. Um, what we're looking at with employability is they really want people to make an effort to actually work in their job and really trying to get a foot in the door to work in their field. We don't just want people to come here and um, working in any job. The whole point is to, to attract skilled migration, migrants who will benefit the territory. It is a two-way street. So they want people to make a genuine and a sustained effort to obtain uh, employment in the nominated occupation. And again, this is where your um, project there, Ben, will be really helpful because especially the international students that have find, they find it so hard to get that first job in, in their occupation, what they have studied for, that should help them to get that foot in the door and, and, to, sh and to get that confidence and also to apply for the jobs with an expectation to be at least in the running to get the job because I've got a feeling a lot of those international students have got no idea how the Australian job market works. That's um, right. Yeah, so they think by just sending out CVs, that's how you get a job on the territory. Well, it doesn't really work that way, does it? <laughs> so with the international students, there was a bit of an outcry. There was like oh, my God, we came here to study and we were told, we were promised we are going to get our PR visa once we started here for two years, and now they have changed the rules on us. So first of all, they have created an exemption. So all the rules were announced to come into effect as of the 1st of July. But they said for international graduates who have already started the course and have basically graduated, like this last semester, they, they know that it's, taking a while for CDU to actually issue those graduation letters. So they've given them uh, an extension uh, at least until uh, the 1st of July, uh, 1st of August. Okay. For those who are not graduating now, so those that will graduate at the end of this current semester or maybe not until next year or the year after, what they are looking for is that these graduates will get a, a skilled graduate visa that allows them to stay in Australia and get work experience. And so that they have at least six months of work experience in their field after graduating. And again, this is where your project will really help these, these international graduates. Um, so this is part of the whole settlement and employability and to making sure that the students will actually make the Northern Territory the first choice to come and study here. So the Northern Territory government is really trying to convince them to come and study at CDU or at any of the other colleges that we have in the Northern Territory, do their at least two years of study, 
get settled here, get involved in our job market, in our communities, and they will get rewarded with that permanent residency visa 190. The problem is it's those that have come here after they have studied, they come here, they can't find a job, and they think, oh, well, we're just going to do another student visa here in the Northern Territory. Okay, those people are going to be affected by these changes, unfortunately. But it's not going to be an, a dead-end street for them, okay, because even those graduates uh, that can't get another graduate visa, because for those listeners who don't really know much about migration, if you come as an international student, after you studied for two years, a minimum of two years on your course, you can get another two-year visa to get work experience. But you can only get that once. So once you have done that and you go back on the student visa, you're no longer able to get that graduate visa again a second time. So those students are going are panicking at the moment, I guess. Mm. Uh, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. But so they are the ones who are saying, "Oh my God, we can't get another six months after we finished our course." So what the non-teacher government has said: if you can show us good employability whilst you were studying and you work and your occupation, we will consider you. And if you don't have that work experience whilst you were studying because you were studying full-time and you really were only jobbing, like getting a typical student job, then what they will do is they will consider you for a 491 visa, which is also a state-sponsored visa. And, and, and Rachel, you can maybe explain why this is not such a bad deal. Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions around the 491 visa. Um, so firstly, it's a, it's the temporary version, if you may, of the 190. Um, so a lot of the same things apply, like you need to meet the English language requirements and have a skills assessment and have an occupation on the, on the skilled list. Um, but it's just a temporary visa and it allows you to stay for five years. Um, but after three years, you, if you're eligible, you can apply for a permanent residency visa. So during those three years, you just need to be able to show the department um, at the end of those three years that for each of those three years, you have uh, earned over a certain tax income threshold. At the moment, that's set at 53900 Um And that also needs to be stated on your ATO tax assessment. So it can't be your, um, your base wage received by your employer and then you salary package and reduce your tax and your tax income is is reported as something a lot lower than that it does need to appear to 53,900 so that's important for people to remember when they're negotiating with their employer how their uh, salary is going to be packaged up um, and also it's there's been a couple of um, I, I guess some some rumors around the market that we've heard that on this visa uh, applicants are taxed more um, we're not really sure where that information is coming from there's no different tax rate for temporary um, for temporary uh, residents, so it's that the, possibly the misconception has come around that tax threshold that you need to get the permanent resident uh, residency visa in the future. Um, Rachel, it's, yes, just <laughs> I thought the, you'd be able to pipe in here, Mr. Taxman. <laughs> oh, because I mean, what I, I guess what I'm trying as a layperson, you know, who's not yes. a migration agent. Mm -hmm. I look at that 53,900, the first question that I think to myself is, okay, um, 
has has that gone up since last year or has it stayed the same? No, it's, it's well, it usually goes up with, with CPI, but at the moment that's where it's set. It hasn't really gone up very much lately. I don't think it's probably going to go up very much. Well, um, my, question is, my question is, given the fact that we're in a massive COVID-19 crisis, right, mm-hmm. don't you think that number should actually go down? Like, seriously, you know, it's so hard for businesses at the moment. Um, you know, how, how can they, I mean, it's going to be tough. To it is going to be tough. And, and that's something that Ben and Anka and I have spoken about in the past. Um, it's going to be difficult to change because it is set in legislation. So it's going to take, I think, a lot of lobbying by the government. It's not something that's going to be changed quickly. And it'll probably be a lot of consultation with the ATO over um, what the, the mean average wage is and all those things. So what we would like to, what I'd like to say about that particular point is that there's a number of things that applicants can do. They can actually combine salary from a number of different sources. So if they have a, uh, a part-time job um, and they are not able to meet that, if they have a second source of income, taxable income, they can combine that. It's just as long as the taxable income in total is 53900 So that is, I guess, potentially some uh, way to, to kind of combat that high salary that a lot of graduates would find hard to, you know, to, to be awarded on their first year out. Um, secondly, what I'd like to say is that um, if the 491 uh, visa applicant has a secondary applicant holder, such as a spouse, and that spouse has come over with them to Australia while that visa, while that person has been studying, and they've been in the workforce and gradually climbing up uh, their salary, then when they're on that 491 visa, they can actually swap who the primary applicant is to that permanent residency stage and use the income of the dependent visa holder. So what we might find is a lot of people who are coming out into the workforce as graduates have possibly a spouse who's been working in an industry, uh, you know, can be any industry as long as it, um, as long as they've learnt over that, earned over that income threshold. That's a good uh, strategy there, right, right there, Ben. Yeah. You know, for, for students to actually realise uh, and that, that it's available to them. Absolutely. And I think that is, that is a really good point because for some students, uh, especially those that are studying postgraduate, like masters or PhD students, when they come with their partners, their partners can actually work full time. Uh, so that's really good because that will give them, uh, you know, if they have already been working full time, they will probably already have some experience and they will be placed in a in a in perhaps a better position once the the, the applicant who's starting will be, you know. So obviously making fifty three thousand or fifty four thousand right after graduating, you know, is is definitely a questionable amount. Of course I know the numbers behind it, but but especially during COVID nineteen, you know, this is something that, you know, we all wish actually to make. So Yes, mm. it's, a, it's a good point, though, and I think it's really, really important for people to, to get that because uh, some of them may get confused about, you know, taxing, taxes and all that kind of stuff, so definitely. And I guess the final point around the 491 visa I wanted to make was that 49 visa applicants or visa holders are also eligible for Medicare, um, so that is a big plus for, for those applicants. Um, they're kind of treated similar to a PR visa holder in, in, in the fact that they can hold Medicare. So taking away that requirement to have overseas 
private health insurance um, does come as some assistance to their to their uh, you know their income. So yeah, that's the four, the four nine one basically. Um, I, I think that's a very uh, a, a can be a good option, and I think that people who have been kind of disheartened by the fact they may have not now be eligible for the 190 should definitely be looking closer at 491 and, and, and what kind of attributes that has for them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. If I, if I would say, uh, you know, of course, they, I heard so many questions, so many comments around it for the last few months, especially when it was first introduced. But yes, a lot of it in, uh, in you know, these, me these measures uh, impact mostly those students that are that have chosen other cities initially to study and that have already applied for a 485. But when I ask, you know, students that that the primary course was here in the NT in Darwin, the feedback is actually not bad at all. In fact, some of them have actually said it's, it's, it's really good to see that, uh, you know, NT students, those who pick the NT first, are given kind of a, uh, a better opportunity. And, and I remember someone uh, told me that someone said out there that, uh, yes, we don't want these 190 visas to be another impex fly in, fly out. <laughs> so I thought that was really, really a nice comment because, yes, we've seen that some people, they just come to the NT, they get the 190 and they just leave. And I guess that's not the idea. And that is why these measures are, uh, you know, been taken in place. So, so, you know, what I can say is that, you know, uh, I love the territory and I love international students. And as long as they, you know, uh, make a, a commitment to stay here and that they can prove it, you know, everyone should should be welcome as long as, you know, they meet those criteria. And hopefully, you know, after three years or two years, you know, it's it will be kind of hard for someone not to, you know, strengthen some ties and, you know, get make some friends or, I don't know, partners or whatever. And I guess that is the whole idea behind behind you know these measures so you know it's tricky but exactly. still yeah but still is the door is not closed at all uh there's there are still some options out there mm -hmm. What's the and, the other, and the other thing that i'm sorry if you hear noises in the background this is my dog and my cat playing. <laughs> <laughs> oh happy happy dog day is that today the dog day uh, I don't know. Well, if it's happy dog day, my dog is happy. Uh, <laughs> what I was going to say also, I mean, a lot of students are concerned they have to actually find a job in their occupation. So if they're some accounting or in IT or something like that, they actually have to work as an accountant. What the non-tertiary looks at is that you actually actively pursue to get a job to build up your skill level. So most accountancy firms will not, let a graduate in straight away as an accountant you will start at a lower level but at least it's showing that you are making a concerted effort to get into that profession as well so so they will look at the have you actively applied for jobs um so uh, that's what they're looking for you if you if you can't get a job straight away as a graduate, which is realistic, then at least if you can show you've applied for jobs or you get into an entry-level position, that will all meet those criteria. And if you, and that's really what they're looking for, is for people making concerted effort. Um, but coming back to the whole 1st of July uh, changes, there's a lot of unrest at the moment because all the states have announced 
we are not processing any applications. Uh, and a lot of people thinking this is because of COVID. Okay. And to a certain degree, it is. So what happens in the Australian migration program? We are resetting our migration intake each year when the financial year starts on the 1st of July. So the federal government does its budget normally in May. And that's when they look at our economy and our growth plan and, and so on. So this is when they're setting our targets and saying, look, okay, this year we're going to let in 196,000 people into Australia to, to settle. But the following year they might, may say it's less. Okay. Because of COVID, we didn't have a budget in May. Uh, that has been proposed to postponed to September. As a result of that, there were no new migration places to determine because it's subject to the budget being signed off by the Australian Parliament. So as a result of that, the states and territories actually have given, been given their allocations. So, so the majority of states, what they have done is said, okay, well, we're not giving allocations, so we're not doing anything. We're waiting uh, until we get our allocations, until we then decide what occupations we will offer, and and so on. So. The non-touch has done it differently. They said, no, we're going to continue with what we have always done. We know where our shortages are. Okay, We know what kind of occupations we want uh, to have in the Northern Territory. So what they have said is we will accept applications and we will process them. The only thing we can't do just right now is actually giving you the physical sponsorship. They can tell you yes or no, you're successful, but the actual opportunity to then apply for the 491 or 190 visa will have to wait until the non-tertiary government actually has been given their places. And because the budget is going to be uh, handed down at the end of September, they're expecting these places to come around that same time. So that's a problem for some people whose visa runs out by the end of September, but only for those people. And look, if your visa runs out by the end of September, they, the federal government, the immigration department has given options to visa holders to get a different visa so they can not become unlawful. So they can stay in Australia, get work, keep their work rights that they had before, and then still apply for that visa at a later stage. So for those people like that, they really need to get in touch with uh, people like Rachel and myself to find out what type of visa is the best for them that is that allows them to stay, work, and also apply for another visa. But they do not have to be afraid that they want to become unlawful as a result of that. Um, and I think that should sort of finish up what we were talking about with regards to migration and team. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What's next on the, on the list of questions? I can see we've got uh, Hong Kong, which I'd really like to talk about, but have we, uh, have we got um, something else before that? Very excitingly, we just had an announcement yesterday. Mm. I mean, it's the, the, exciting in the fact that it's very current. Um, we have just had an announcement about new student visa measures that have uh, come into play uh, due to COVID-19. So effective immediately, the Department of Home Affairs are going to recommence visa processing and grants for offshore student applications. So they were all placed on hold 
up until uh, now. They are going to reopen processing and so people can apply and actually receive grants for their visas, for their student visas, if they meet the eligibility criteria. It is important to note that after they get that visa, they still cannot enter Australia due to the travel ban. However, they'll have their visa that they can have ready and waiting for as soon as those uh, uh, borders open and there may be a international student uh, kind of program where they bring international students in as a different kind of uh, travel pathway um, to get them to their education institutions. We're still waiting to see how that will work but at least they will be able to process their visas and get their grants uh, and be waiting. Um, they've also stated that there's a lot of people who can't attend to um, issues uh, that uh, to attend to things that uh, require their visa to be um, assessed, such as English language, um, health assessments, and biometric uh, collection. Uh, there are, the department have announced that they're going to give extensions for all applicants who cannot do those things because certain testing centres or collection centres are closed because of COVID. Um, so that is a important communication by the, by the uh, government. They've announced some additional things as well, but. Uh, it's important to keep in mind that these additional things do require a legislative change. So they're going to take a little bit longer to come into effect because we're going to need to wait for Parliament to sit and for those changes to take place. Um, specifically, they've said that they will waive the visa application fee for students whose course completion has been delayed because of COVID. So if they need, if they need to apply for another student visa, they're going to waive that application fee. So as that's set in the schedule of the migration regulations, we'll need that to be uh, amended. So we'll have to wait for Parliament. Um, two other things that we'll need amending is that online study is to be included in the Australian study requirement for the graduate visa. And also that graduate visas, which is normally only available for onshore applicants, is now going to be opened up for offshore applicants. So. A lot of students, particularly Chinese students, went home during Chinese New Year and actually got stuck outside of Australia. Um, potentially they were uh, eligible to apply for that graduate visa, but they're outside of Australia, so they're actually going to make it available for them to make that application uh, in, made outside of Australia. But again, we're just going to have to wait until those legislative changes come through. But very positive changes that the government have announced that's going to assist our international students. Um, some other messages that they've made uh, is kind of in line with previous announcements around financial assistance uh, that they'll only uh, are going to kind of stay with their um, superannuation access that they've allowed if you've been here for 12 months or more and also the community and university packages such as Red Cross um, which you know they actually uh, have provided I think around 200 million dollars to organizations to assist international students um, and potentially organisations like the Kindness Shake Ben can actually tap into some of the, that money through organisations um, that, that have access to those funds. So uh, that, that's kind of uh, in a bit of a nutshell the changes that were announced yesterday for student visas. Um, do you have any comments on that, Ben being kind of on the ground with international students? Yeah, well, to be honest, uh you know, it's, it's positive to see, uh, you know, some, some measures taking place. It, it took quite a while, to be honest. I think some of these things were discussed in, in our podcast, Leon, a few months ago when we were, you know, discussing, uh, you know, how is it fair for the students uh, 
having to extend their visas without that being the fault and you know and no no measures in place for that i mean i i feel like um the you know changes and 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 these measures are really good are positive because that means that 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 lobbying is is working for those people that are working in the industry and and that the the government is listening uh but still there is a feel of uh that that is not quite there yet on the things that that are that are really needed not only for the students but also for for in universities or, or, or education providers, I think first of all, um, you know, the fact that you know so many students uh, lost their jobs and they weren't able, they were not able to receive some or at least some of the welfare support. I think that was a big issue, and of course, some of the comments that we heard about it's time to go home were really controversial. But also, what it is a fact is that the higher education sector in Australia is in a very, very challenging situation. Uh, so many jobs are uh, in jeopardy. Uh, we've heard comments recently about uh, universities uh, thinking to, you know, cut hundreds of jobs. I believe in University of New South Wales, there was already a 500 uh, jobs cut. So the, the, the sector is hurting, uh, I believe. These things help for sure. Uh, and, and, you know, I, and obviously it's all welcome. But it probably has taken a little bit longer than it should have, uh, and and you know let's see let's see what is going to happen. But hopefully, uh, you know, it will definitely help, especially to those students that that you know were really uncertain about what was going to happen, and 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 as well as the students that were planning to come because what we were think what we were discussing the last time was. Uh, you know, maybe put your plans on hold until, you know, further notice. But now that we know the visas will be assessed, so of course, we know that the students can, uh, you know, make their plans mm. back again. And, and there's been a lot of talks as well about having uh, uh, charter flights, especially from China and, and other uh, uh, jurisdictions such as Hong Kong and, and Taiwan. Uh, that still hasn't... Uh, come up into reality yet but there's been you know some proposals out there and, and some lobbying for that to happen yes uh, that's right ben uh i mean the head actually already signed off on a special charter group of master's uh, degree mm-hmm. students to come in from hong kong to canberra specifically they were signed off as all ready to go and then of course the uh, new outbreak happened in in melbourne and they had to had no choice but to put it on hold because if Canberra is now on standby to find out if they are going to be affected by the latest outbreak. But yeah, I agree. It's it's, it's a hopeful situation, uh, and they're finally actually being a little bit proactive about it. I do think also it's awesome that they allow students to continue their study, so that even if it's online. So whilst they're overseas waiting, they have paid for their course. At least they can continue to study and use that uh, the, those results to then come back to Australia. So I think that will help both the universities and also the students to, to move forward. Uh, so I think it's all generally it's, it's it's starting to look up, basically. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so in relation to Hong Kong, uh, you're saying that uh, there's an estimated ten thousand students here right now or 10,000 Hong Kong people? I, I believe it's 10, 
the, yeah, it was in it was in an announcement from the from the PM. I, I think it was around there was ten thousand temporary visa holders who who were Hong Kong normally Hong Kong residents. So I don't think they're all students. Some right. of them may be um, on the graduate students or temporary other temporary skilled working uh, programs. Um, yeah, so that 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 figure um, it, it was in one of the PM's announcements that came out uh, not on the 9th of July, um, where he he's also put in some special visa arrangements for uh, Hong Kong residents. So it's mainly broken up into, I guess, two main categories. So we're looking at the Hong Kong residents who you met, who we were talking about before, who are onshore, um, and effective immediately current international students from Hong Kong who are eligible uh, to apply for a temporary graduate visa will actually get a five-year stay on that visa. There's no legislation changes that needs to be done for that to be in place. And uh, through uh, the migration profession, I've actually seen some of the, those grants already come through. Um, so that is really good news. Um, the other one does require legislative changes because uh, they're wanting existing temporary graduate visas visa holders. Anka mentioned before about that once-in-a-lifetime visa, the 485 visa. There's talk that those visa holders can apply for an additional visa and get a further five-year stay. So in order to allow them to be eligible to do that, there needs to be some changes made to the migration regulations. Um, there's also some cha some changes that there are some announcements that they've made trying to attract, I guess, the, the best and the brightest from Hong Kong, trying to get people who are in Hong Kong to relate, relocate to Australia. Um, they've done things like bolstering the efforts of the, what's called the Global Talent Program and also the Business Innovations and Investment Program. Um, and they're trying to prioritise the Hong Kong caseload by uh, they've allocated a dedicated case officer from the global talent team to look at those uh, applications and try to process them faster. Um, and they've also reopened a visa application centre in Hong Kong, which had previously shut down because of COVID-19. So that's going to reopen, hopefully, to facilitate the process. Um, and just further, I guess, about attracting businesses as opposed to individuals. So the Global Talent Program was more, I guess, about attracting individuals who have like highly sought after skills, particularly in the biotech um, and IT industry. They're also trying to attract businesses. So they're looking particularly at export oriented uh, businesses that are based at uh, Hong Kong as the regional uh, head office, trying to attract those to come to Australia. Um, and they're trying to incentivize them to relocate to Australia by offering economic incentives uh, of an unknown, uh, I don't really know what that, those are, but I'm sure that their um, engagement with, with the government will be able to tell you what those are. But from an immigration point of view, they've actually said that they're going to offer permanent pathways for the Hong Kong staff that are involved in relocating that business. So that is potentially going to be a really good uh, source uh, for the economy and also for those Hong Kong residents to come over and get PR from Australia. But are they all going to end up in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane or are they going to try and encourage them to sort of move to more remote locations? Well, that's a really good question. I would think that Darwin should uh, would be a really good uh, option for Hong Kong businesses to, to relocate geographically um, and also with the, with the port options available. So 
um, potentially there, there should be some kind of engagement with the, you know, the, the local uh, and federal members in the NT to see if there's any actions taking place uh, specifically to attract those people to Darwin. It is also my understanding that the non-Tetric government has also been quite proactive in the past with sending delegates into Hong Kong and, and um, trying to advertise their business um, investment program and business invent- innovation program. So I'm pretty sure they will continue to um, elaborate on that and, and, and uh, mm. do some further um investments ben you would have maybe an idea of that or not well uh i would have thought china but that's that was a bad joke (laughs) (laughs) especially with the recent news but uh but yeah well what i have to say about this is that i have personally uh known some uh, Hong Kong students. In fact, we have some volunteers uh, in the kind of shake that, that are also from Hong Kong. So they really welcome uh, the news. Um, mm. I know some other uh, students that, that were in a challenging situation, really, really challenging. Their visas were expiring. Um, uh, they, they didn't have any other option. And, and, you know, they were like, Ben, if I have to go back, I will probably be in jail. So it came like really, really timely uh, for for those some of the students that I know, uh, and it really changed like their lives, to be honest. So I think that's 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 very good news for for those students or for people from Hong Kong. And look, I, I think uh, that that as 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 long as you know, uh, we follow what are, what are you know why. This has been done, not only humanitarian reasons, but also, you know, what you mentioned about businesses and, and attracting the brightest. I think uh, hopefully uh, the NT will be putting them up and we will be able to market uh, the advantages of, of being here in the Northern Territory, uh, particularly, you know, during COVID-19 and, and being one of the safest place, places in the world uh, kind of thing. So, yeah, that's what I'll have to say about it. Yeah, that's really good news. And, you know, hopefully we can try and attract uh, people to the territory. Um, anything else that we need to be aware of? Uh, no, we don't have it. Uh, really, that's probably the, the, the best updates that we've, that's happened in the recent terms. But uh, as in migration, uh, yeah. tomorrow everything can change. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep in touch and, and on our all on our social medias, Uncle and I will keep keep updating any changes that we see uh, to, to immigration that we think that will affect the particularly the, the Northern Territory community. Great, great. Well, look, thank you both very much for uh, joining us uh, late in the day to go through this. We really, really appreciate this. Um, and I, are we going to get uh, some kind of um, uh, document uh, to go out on our website uh, regarding these changes? Yeah, we can definitely yeah. publish a fact sheet. That's no problem at all. Uh, I'll have to say that fact sheet that we had for the last time was really, really brilliant. I was able to share it everywhere, and I have seen it in some places uh, around Australia that I didn't even think it would be. Uh, so that was really, really good. And again, that was really timely uh, like that time. So probably this one will be as helpful as the, as the other fact sheet that we uh, organized. 
Fantastic. So that'll be great. Fantastic. Ben, uh, once again, I really appreciate you hanging around to, um, to uh, participate in this. Uh, we're very proud of the work that you do here in the Territory, uh, especially as being a new migrant, uh, you know, well, new as a, a newish. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, you are a testament, uh, as is Anka, of, you know, people that have come from all over the world to live in the territory and to make it their home and to make such a positive contribution to our community. So thank you both. Thank, thank you, you very much, Leon. It means, means a lot. And thank you for taking these on board and, 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 and talking about it. I think that's very important for people to hear, uh, you know, what the situation is and, you know, to raise those issues that, that need to be raised. So I'm really lucky and fortunate to be in the NT, hopefully for a very long time. Fantastic. Uh, thanks, Ben. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Anka. Thank you, Leon. Uh, that was Thank Rachel. You, Rachel uh, Adolf, Anka Nagel, both migration agents at Ward Keller, and Ben Pavita Alfonso, who is the co-founder of The Kindness Shake. Uh, that's all from us here on the Territory Story podcast. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.